This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. This is Peter and Tricia welcoming you to Great News and God's Views, a half-hour broadcast on Free FM 89.0, independent community media. We invite you to listen every Sunday for a presentation of historic Bible-based Christianity, highlighting preaching of the Word, classics, songs, hymns and spiritual songs. We use only the King James Bible, the authorised version. We can be contacted by email at greatnews376 at gmail.com. That is greatnews376 at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Today's worship theme, God calls for each of us to share his love with others. How soon is soon? When our children were young enough to still be excited about Santa Claus coming, we faced every parent's Christmas Eve problem. How do you get the kids in bed and asleep and sleep enough yourself so that Christmas morning you're not too exhausted to enjoy the wonder of a child's delight and surprise at what came in the night? As I was putting my youngest to bed, she asked, Daddy, when will Santa come? I replied, soon. To which she responded, how soon is soon? The book of Revelation claims these words are trustworthy and true regarding the things that must soon take place. We want to know, how soon is soon? We read from Revelation chapter 21, beginning at verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruit, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb of God shall be in it, and his servant shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign for ever and ever. To the mountaintop. The night before Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in Memphis on April the 4th, 1968, he gave a speech at Claiborne Temple where he eloquently proclaimed, I've been to the mountaintop. Death does not worry me. The Bible opens with a powerful phrase, In the beginning God. It concludes with John's vision of the new heaven and new earth. In verse 10 he mentions a great high mountain as he describes for us his vision of the new Jerusalem. He echoes Ezekiel's description of the new temple in Ezekiel 40. In both instances we're reminded that God took Moses up to a mountaintop to see the promised land before he died. How soon is soon? 
We've been to the mountaintop. God has declared what he's going to do. Now we must wait and serve with patience and faith. The Christian idea of hope is more than a mere wish. It is a confident expectation for the future based upon God's past acts. From the perspective of Revelation, we have a confident expectation of the future based on what God has promised he will do in that future. No temple. God's unmediated and undiluted presence will be the great wonder of the final consummation of the age. John describes a new heaven as a place with no temple, no representative dwelling place for God. Why? Because God himself will dwell with his people. You don't need a facsimile when you have the original. The unmediated presence of God will also be evidenced by the submission of all peoples to his ultimate sovereignty. The gates of this new city are never closed. There is never any night nor any need of artificial light. God himself is the light of this final abode. The imagery is both beautiful and breathtaking. When will all this take place? Soon. But how soon is soon? Paradise Regained In Genesis, we see the primordial couple in a saga of paradise lost. Revelation concludes with a wonderful glimpse of a river and the tree of life. That which is lost in the Garden of Eden has now been restored. God will be seen face to face. His character will be indelibly stamped upon his children. Humankind will recover the full expression of the imjo dei lost through the curse of sin and death. We're told that the chief end of man is to know and to enjoy God forever. One day that will become a universal reality. When? Soon. But how soon is soon? By the time he was nine years old, George Frederick Handel was writing cantatas. A few years later he played before the King of Prussia. Events took an unexpected turn. His father died, his music spell out of popular favour. Bankrupt and in despair, he closeted himself in his room and in 24 days wrote his inspirational oratorio, Messiah, based on part on the visions of Revelation 7 and 19. He later exclaimed, I did see the heavens open and the great God himself seated on his throne. We have to see with eyes of faith what God is going to do. We should pray as William Penn prayed, Lord, you have gone to prepare a place for us. Prepare us for that happy place. Our job is not to draw diagrams of the new Jerusalem or to create timelines determining its date and place of arrival. We are to make ourselves available to the grace of God that we might be prepared for that happy place. Soon. Perhaps sooner than we think. Our opening music today is by Fanny Crosby. Born in 1820, she's heralded as one of the world's most prolific and talented hymn composers. Blind from shortly after birth, Fanny nonetheless wrote 8,000 hymns. The one we play now, To God Be the Glory, is a hymn with a tune by William Howard Duane and was first published in 1875. It was already popular in Great Britain before publication because Ira Sankey had introduced it there during Moody's 1874 evangelistic campaign. Despite this, the song failed to achieve wide use in the United States until Cliff Barrow in 1954, the song leader for Billy Graham, 
put it into his songbook for the London Crusade. It was so popular he did it again later that year in the Crusade in Nashville, Tennessee. To God be the glory. what sort of evidence would convince an atheist that the universe was designed? Scott Todd from Kansas State University gave a startling answer. Even if all the data pointed to an intelligent designer, such an hypothesis is excluded from science because it is not naturalistic. Well, candid admissions like this show us that some people will reject a designer no matter what the evidence. But recognising design has long been a part of science. When an archaeologist finds an artefact like a piece of pottery, he knows immediately that it was designed by someone. 
one, even though he can't see the designer. So if design has no place in science, archaeologists are in serious trouble. Forensic science, Who Killed Who, is also about recognising the evidence of intelligent agency, proving that it was no accident. But when the evidence in science points to God being the intelligent designer, never. To find out more from Creation Ministries International, visit our website, creation.com. You are listening to Great News and God's Views on Free FM 89.0 Independent Community Media. We continue with All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name, often called the National Anthem of Christendom, was written in 1779 by Edward Perrinet while he served as a missionary in India. All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. Love and obedience. Jesus tells his disciples that if they love him, they will obey his teachings. In other words, he says, if you really love me, you'll do what I say. Love serves as a motivation for obedience, and obedience one of the tests of real love. We read from John chapter 14, beginning at verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him, and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. 
But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If he loved me, you would rejoice, because I said, I go to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes to pass, that when it comes to pass, ye might believe. Love is the only real motivation for obedience. Love is the highest form of motivation. After all, it was love that motivated God to send his son to the earth to die for us. As it says in John 6, 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And it was love that motivated Jesus to give himself up for us, as in 1 John 3.16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. All through the New Testament, love is lifted up as the ultimate motivation for doing what is right and holy. And love for Christ is the highest motivation for obeying his teachings. Of course, love isn't the only motivation. We can obey without love. For instance, we can obey out of a sense of fear of what will happen if we don't obey, or out of a sense of Christian duty instead of out of love. Or we can obey because we agree with the truth of the teaching without believing in the truth giver, Jesus. But Jesus calls his disciples to obey out of their love for him and for God. It's the truest and purest of motivation. The other types may leave us in the lurch in moments of temptation or persecution or doubt, but not love. Thus, when we obey out of love, Jesus has promised that God will return that love and he and Jesus will come to abide with us. Obedience to Jesus' teaching will bring God's presence in our lives. Lack of love motivates us to disobedience. Just as real love for Jesus will lead to disobedience, a lack of love for him will lead to the opposite, an attitude of disregard or disobedience to the teachings of Jesus. Oftentimes, if love isn't our primary motivation for obedience, we will find ourselves trying to obey out of our own inner strength and for lesser motives. In a punch, our own strength or these lesser motives may fail us. It does need to be stated, however, that lack of obedience does not always indicate a lack of love, just as obedience does not always indicate real love. We can fall to obey for many reasons other than the lack of love. For instance, we can fail to fully understand a teaching or we can be blind to the implications of a teaching. Of course, sin in our lives also leads us to act in ways that go counter to Jesus' teachings, even when we love the Lord. So don't be too quick to judge others or yourselves. Believers obey because they love. Of course, while the other situations are possible, what would be most tragic is that for a Christian to not obey because of a lack of love. The implication of Jesus' words are that if we do not obey due to a lack of love, he and God do not abide with us. Failure to love leads to lack of obedience which leads to losing God's loving presence in our lives. 
Jesus makes it emphatically clear that these words of encouragement and warning are not just his words, they are from the Father. We need to be sure of our motivation for serving the Lord. Our hearts can tell us that for sure, but be sure God knows the truth and cannot be fooled. We continue great news in God's views with Holy, 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 words by Reginald Heber, music by John Backus Dykes, written in 1861. It was sung in the 1953 film Titanic. Holy, Holy, Holy. We continue great news and God's views with Alleluia, Sing to Jesus. Written in 1866 by William Chatterton Dix, who was born in Bristol, England in 1837. Among his most popular hymns are, As with gladness men of old, To you, O Lord, our hearts we raise, The manger throne, What child is this, And the one we play now, Alleluia, Sing to Jesus. Yeah. 
This is Peter and Tricia thanking you for joining us today for great news and God's views on Free FM 89.0, Independent Community Media. We invite you to listen in every Sunday from 9.30 to 10 for a presentation of historic Bible-based Christianity, highlighting preaching of the Word, classic songs, hymns and spiritual songs. We use only the King James Bible, the authorised version. 89.0 is live-streamed from freefm.org.nz or tune in, and now on Amazon Echo devices using the free F29 Alexa skill. We'd love to hear your comments on this show. We can be contacted by email at greatnews376 at gmail.com. That is greatnews376 at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Our closing music today, This is My Father's World. Use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.